0: It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. Hope you like the new intro. I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley?
1: Things are going well. I almost got all of my voice back, which is good.
0: Yeah, that's what happens when you go to events like South by Southwest. At least you didn't get the South by Southwest flu or cold or whatever that I've heard about in years past.
1: Yeah, I've heard about the South by Southwest SARS that a lot of people are getting. Um, I'm glad that uh, I didn't get any of that. I guess I didn't shake enough hands this year.
0: Yeah, I've never gotten sick whenever I've gone to a conference or anything. And when I come back home, like this time when I went to Mix last week, the second I stepped off the plane, my allergies hit me. But I've never actually gotten sick from a conference or anything before.
1: Actually, this is a rare occasion where I haven't gotten sick. I usually do get sick at conferences.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've just never been one to get sick in general. But mm. at least, at least you have your voice back. <laughs>
1: Most of it, I'm probably eighty percent now. Like I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm still like it's a little deeper than usual, which is a little weird.
0: A little bit, but it's not too bad at all. It sounds yeah. pretty close to normal. Yeah. As long as you don't have me sing, <laughs> that yeah, it sounds pretty normal. Yeah, I don't think either of us should be singing on this show. Our numbers would probably dip even lower than where they are now. Oh yeah. But which, speaking of which, they've seemed to have taken another dive. But oh no. Yeah, at least it wasn't as bad as the last dive. So I guess that's a little bit of hope.
1: All right. Well, the new intro will bring them back.
0: I'm hoping so. That this was a great intro for those of you who don't recognize the voice that was done by chris cashman who as if you're a xbox user you probably know him as he is the host of one versus 100 live i when i was up in washington got to meet him and we've been exchanging emails ever since and he offered to do a new intro for the show and then as well some audio work in the future so that would be the new intro i've got a with and without music version. So I may be playing without with the without music version, trying to see about maybe putting it into our normal music and whatever. But as of right now, I like it as is. So I'm curious to see what you guys think about that. So make sure to let us know in the comments or on Twitter or whatever. But speaking of um, lots of activity going on, uh, there was... I did... I don't know how many blog posts I did last week on the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog in relation to Mix. There were a couple of live blogs from the keynote and some summaries of the different activities from the days and stuff like that, which those will definitely be worth checking out at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. I've got a couple other posts um, Mix related. Hopefully I'll get those up tomorrow before I start another um, series, or I get back to my series of posts from my Washington trip, but I've got a couple uh news posts that we're going to, basically, I'm going to break the news later on in the show, then post those afterwards. I want you guys, the listeners, to be the first to hear the news, so that's how that's going to work. But anyway, we might as well, speaking of news, we might as well go ahead and jump right on into our stories, which, of course, you can always follow along at globalgeeknews.com. And our first story would be Peer-to-peer and peer-to-peer links are ruled legal in Spain.
1: Yes, this is has to do with the uh, end of a court case um, that's gone on for over three years, and it's about uh, Jesus Guer- Guerrera uh, Calderon, who is the owner of a small bar and a P2P website called uh, El Ricón de Jesus. Um, basically, the, the coin the, the court said that his site is fine as long as people aren't profit, profiteering off um, the content that are what is just links. And um as long as it's for personal use, then P to P sharing of uh content is legal.
0: See this is kinda always how I've how I've always thought that um music and movies and stuff, copyright for them should be done if it's if you're making money off of it or somebody's making money off of it, okay, that's wrong. But if you're just doing it for your personal use or like a try before you buy kind of thing, something like that, I've always been totally fine with that. I wish they'd get some more laws like that here. But then again, I doubt that'll happen considering Obama's in favor of ACTA. Right.
1: Well, this is this is Spain. Um, this is uh, possible, possibly... Uh, since they didn 't have a law on the books, this is definitely um setting a, a precedent um so i don 't know if this opens the door wide for rampant you know abuse or not, but um we should look at this and see where they are a year from now i guess
0: yeah i'm kind of curious to see if a lot of the peer to peer sites that are having trouble in other issue in other countries are going to maybe see about moving to Spain now as and setting up their headquarters there i'm kind of curious to see if rulings like this is enough to foster an environment of peer-to-peer sites
1: that's that's interesting way of putting it i didn't even think about that um, it could be a boon in their uh local economy if businesses start sprouting there just to make sure they have protection pr- protection in spain
0: yeah i'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen with the pirate bay trial i know that the, the Retrial is set for this fall, I believe, right around the time of the elections in Sweden. So I've got a feeling that depending on how that turns out, we'll kind of determine whether or not the site actually stays in Sweden, which I, I think it's still in Sweden. I don't know. They, they've they changed location so many times, I'm not even real sure exactly where they
1: are anymore. Right. Well, um that that's uh they could just move to Spain and uh, ignore whatever the ruling is and just be out of reach of the authorities
0: yeah I, st- I still think they should have bought Sealand or whatever so they could have been their own country and made up their own rules <laughs> yeah,
1: well, they still need internet access, and if you can cut a cable to cut them off, I think people would do that,
0: yeah, probably, oh hey, my Amazon order shipped cool. Anyway, um, our second story is also peer-to-peer related, where apparently peer-to-peer is going to start causing a huge loss in jobs between now and 2015.
1: So they say, um, this is a report uh, done by uh, BASCAP, um, and it's using core jobs in this thing called uh, non-core jobs, so... Core would be like the music industry and the video production and all that stuff. Non-core jobs are weird, um, which they're incorporating things like cargo handling, storage and warehouse, air transportation, and all this stuff. So they're, they're really extrapolating everything else and saying if pirating keeps going, it's going to affect not just this direct industries, but affect everyone all across the ecosystem as it touches, and um, people will lose jobs and, lo- and thus lose money.
0: Yeah, they're saying around a total of 1.2 million jobs and over $324.6 billion in revenue. But coming from, you kind of have to take this worth a grain of salt just because of who it comes from. The International Chamber of Commerce this is business action to stop counterfeiting and piracy group. But if you look at them, it it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, these non-core jobs make no sense. I mean, these companies aren't going to, like a UPS or a FedEx or whatever, wouldn't go out of business because they're not um, moving around DVDs and CDs. Right. And if anything, that... Speaks more to not so much about piracy, somewhat more as to um, things moving to digital distribution.
1: Yes, and they're saying that um, that's also assuming that other industries, uh, with just the scale of basically uh, the earth and the country's population, um, the growth of other industries due to that. Um, This is assuming that none of that influences or there will be nothing to fill in the gaps of this now vacant trade of uh, using um, physical media to transport uh, music CDs and audio.
0: Yeah, the whole study is basically one big way of trying to say, hey, we need more laws against peer-to-peer in the European Union, basically. Because that's where this is talking about. This isn't really talking very much about the U.S. But and that, that's entirely what this is focused towards. This is kind of saying, hey, EU, we want ACTA right. kind of thing. And I don't know, if you want to see all of how they came up with their skewed numbers and everything, they're all in the link in the show notes, or most of it anyway, but it also mentions, and of course I don't think they really mention it so much in their actual study, about how as a percentage of internet traffic, peer-to-peer traffic is dropping considerably, as to where by 2013 it'll only account for 20% of consumer traffic compared to the 50% that it was in 2008.
1: Yeah, this is very selectively written. I'm surprised they don't say, well since people don't go out to buy physical CDs, they stay home more, so uh, the shoe industry is going to lose money because less people are walking around and uh, and since they're staying at home, they're meeting less and so there's going to be uh, less dating, which means restaurants and movie industry is going to go downhill because people won't go out for dates. And then, oh, and since they won't date, then marriage is going to drop down. I mean, there's, there's they extrapolate it to the nth degree of whatever they can find that's somewhat in the realm of possibilities.
0: Yeah, this is kind of a, if you download that song, God'll kill a kitten kind of an idea.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, a kitten dies every time you download movie, mu- music or movies off the internet.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of content on the internet and what people are doing with it. Apparently now more than ever, there's more people that are simultaneously using the internet and TV.
1: Yeah. With the surge of netbooks and other, uh, computing devices, uh, in the home, um, people are starting to live tweet events. I know you, uh, you did live streaming, uh, live, uh, tweeting of star Galactica or live blogging. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there, uh, that's, um, and I, I'm guessing with people looking up Wikipedia and stuff when they're uh, watching different game shows, uh, uh, Googling events and stuff like that. So it, it makes sense. I know during the Olympics anyway, there might be a, ga- uh, a show on, but someone would have a laptop to get the scores of something else that wasn't being broadcast at the same time or to see other people's reactions. And uh, I know I, for one, do this at least once a month, which is the statistics that they're touting here in this article.
0: Yeah, for me, if I have the TV on, I am always, at all times, on the internet. Generally speaking, if my if a show that I'm watching is on, I'll be paying most of my attention to the TV. But the second a commercial comes on, I hit the mute button, and I go back to whatever it was I was doing online. Whether it's right. tweeting, or looking up information, or getting ready for a podcast, or whatever. Speaking of which... I just realized a moment ago that I was supposed to bring back the Geek News Daily podcast today. Totally forgot about it. So Well, the day's not over. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> no way I'm going to get both shows edited and up and everything. and no, it, It's just not going to happen tonight. Maybe, hopefully tomorrow I can get that started back up. But yeah, whenever I'm pretty much at home, basically, I've usually got both on and I'm using both at the same time. Well, I, I would say that I'm technically part of this uh, statistic. Mhm. Although I'm probably more an extreme case.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I... Well, I don't watch a lot of live TV anyway, so I just fast-forward past commercials, so I don't have a lot of opportunity to use my laptop. But usually I will, you know... Especially for a show that's not as engaging, like... Um, Like last night, I was watching Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, There's parts where they're walking around or doing little interviews, which is just you know, not as exciting as the rest of the show. And I would check my email or uh, see what Twitter
0: says at the same time. Mm Hmm. Yeah, I I do that too. Most I don't watch near as much live TV as I used to. Most of the time anymore. If there's something I really want to watch, I torrent it and then watch it because then I don't have to worry about any commercials or anything like that. It's all stripped out for me. But speaking of video content, apparently YouTube's defense in the Viacom case is the fact that Viacom secretly uploaded content, and then they even tried to buy YouTube.
1: Yeah, this was the case. What they're saying is that the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing. So some Viacom Viacom marketing would upload video clips and then Viacom Legal would see the clips and ask for them to be taken down. And in some cases, YouTube would take them down and then Viacom would come back and say, hey, uh, you mind putting that back up, please? And uh, YouTube would would comply with that also.
0: Yeah, see, I'm not sure if it's so much a case of not knowing what the other hand is doing as much as some much bigger-picture strategy because CBS supposedly hired no fewer than 18 different marketing agencies to upload content to YouTube. And even so much as they had employees going to places like Kinko's to upload clips so that they couldn't be traced back to Viacom.
1: Yeah, that's very underhanded guerrilla warfare kind of, of tactics. Yeah, that's, that's really underhanded.
0: Yeah, so I don't think... It's very much a case of not knowing what the other hand is doing. I think this is some kind of big master plan by um Viacom to I don't know if it's to set some kind of a legal precedent to milk money out of Google or what it is,
1: yeah, but you know there's what's right, what's moral, what's ethical, and then then there's what's legal so um, yeah, technically speaking, that's not illegal what they did, but it's um it does point towards, you know, uh, what their motivation behind this. But then again, if we're going by DMCA, what YouTube did wasn't illegal either. So, does same, same argument, um, Viacom does not have, really have a case to begin with.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what the judge does after this. I got a feeling he's probably going to toss the case completely.
1: Yeah, well... It would be more interesting to see is what Viacom's retort is to this to these charges. Uh, I'm guessing if they are truly from untraced computers, that um, that Google slash YouTube actually has some interviews with the people who did some of the stuff and uh, has some sworn statements about what they did. Um, knowing knowing companies to have them do this kind of grunt work could have been uh, temps, non non permanent employees, people who would turn on a dime that has no loyalty to Viacom at all to get this done, and uh, and and would take and gladly take the cash from Google to defend them.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to know how Google found all this stuff out. If it was people coming forward, or just the fact that Google indexes all information, so they know everything, or exactly how this came about. It'll, yeah. it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I know the I think the case has been going on for like two years or something already. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I like where it's going. I mean, nothing's more interesting than seeing some mud fly, and uh, <laughs> both both companies are going to get a little dirty out of this.
0: Yeah. Well, there's something else I like where it's going. Although I think it might be a little bit too late, and that's the fact that. Universal Music is cutting CD prices to, com- to combat poor sales.
1: This is good. Um, where you're probably going to see this, uh, so the, they're thinking about a max $10 price point, so a range of six to ten dollars for for CDs. Um, this is definitely welcome. Um, some people say that you know five dollars should be the the sweet spot, but you know they're trying to make it up in volume.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how well this is... Actually, I'm kind of curious to see a couple things. One, how well it's going to do to save or help CD sales. And two, how it's going to affect pricing for sites that do digital download, like Amazon or iTunes.
1: Oh, yeah. Does this, in turn, diminish the... Uh, the 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 royalty payment of the artists and thus the individual track costs should be lowered all across the board, not just digital sales, but in, I mean, not just physical media, but in digital sales also is what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see who's going to be losing the most out of this, if it's the artists, the record labels, or who, and I know in most cases, like on iTunes or whatever, Full CDs and stuff for like nine ninety nine or whatever, but for the ones that are above that, I'm kind of curious to see if they're if the price for them is going to drop as well. Right.
1: Well, they said they're going to come up with premium CDs. It's going to be more expensive that have more content on it. Um, But uh, Walmart is pretty good with releasing their numbers about sales for um, for CD for CD sales. So. They're the one of the biggest merchants for audio' uh, physical c d so we'll see if this if what they say after this is put in place when do they say they're gonna do this um, throughout the rest of 2010?
0: uh yeah, they're gonna start testing the lower prices within the next month and then continuing this throughout the year to to test to see how well it does.
1: Well, with the economy coming back and people are spending on more discretionary th- items, I-, I think they will seem some really good positive numbers. I know um, there are some CDs that I wanted to purchase, that I do want to purchase, that I've have in the past wanted to purchase. Um, nothing new, but just old CDs, like from the 80s or from the early 90s, that the price just never went down. And seeing that they're making a range from six to ten dollars, I'm hoping that uh, I'll have that opportunity to get some of the some really old music for some decent prices.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how this works out. I, don't know, I still don't think this fix, fixes their problem of crappy music, which I think is a large percentage of the problem. But I don't know. I it, whenever you see a drop in price of just about anything. and There's always a boost in sales, so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious to see how much it helps, but when you mentioned the whole premium content thing to add more value or whatever to it, it reminded me of a story that I believe I saw on Slashdot a few minutes ago about the fact that apparently Electronic Arts now wants to start charging for game demos. What? (laughs) <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah it's one of the stupidest stupidest things I've heard all day apparently they have this grand idea that people will pay ten to fifteen dollars for a demo if they can play like three or four hours of a game instead of like 20 minutes of it
1: hmm.
0: so it's like okay if that's the case I'm just if I I can judge a game usually just fine by the 20. Minutes or whatever that I get to play of it, I have no desire to spend 15 bucks to figure that same thing out just so that I can spend 50 or 60 bucks on the whole version of the game, have to play through everything that I just played through, and it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I've got a feeling that this idea is going nowhere fast.:
1: I can see that with you know with the X and A model where you get for your Zune or your Windows 7 phone, you get the full version of the game uh, and the demo for that price, for 10 bucks or 15 bucks or whatever, mm-hmm. and you get to play it on all the platforms fully, except for when you get to the PC uh, or, or an Xbox, uh, then you get the demo version for free. But you pay for the full version for the mobile, which is also reduced in functionality, but... Uh, just for the demo? No. May, maybe even maybe even a demo subscription, like 15 bucks a month for all their demos and mm-hmm. any demo that comes out. Maybe. But generally speaking, I mean, unless everyone does this, I don't see why anyone would do that.
0: Yeah, I, and I don't remember the exact numbers. I know I've seen them in the past, but I think it's something to the effect of at least on like the PlayStation Network or whatever, publishers have to pay Sony. Like a million bucks for every hundred thousand game demo downloads, or maybe, or maybe that's per um, gigabyte or so, something to that effect, where uh, so they're having to pay fork out a right. bunch of money to Sony so that they can distribute the demos.
1: Right, so that's I'm why Xbox charges uh, for their Xbox Live that subsidizes that, and they don't pass it on to. Uh, To the game developers, so, but what PlayStation, what Sony does is they do it the other way. They don't charge for the online experience, but they charge people for the content.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, I would assume that so basically that this is just a way of trying to recoup those costs, basically. But I have a feeling that it's not gonna go over real well. But I'm glad that you mentioned the whole um buy once play anywhere kind of idea for like the Windows Phone Seven series, that being our next story. Mm-hmm. Cause I happen to have the opportunity to sit down with Todd Bricks last week when I was at Mix, who let me make sure I got his full title here. He's the senior director director of mobile platform services pro, um product management at Microsoft. So basically he's one of the guys that kind of oversees the whole mobile strategy and whatever and what he told me in regards to the whole buy once play anywhere thing is it's not going to happen <laughs> i okay. i was hoping for it i i specifically asked him about that and he said that if the developers or whatever or the whoever makes the content once and happens to have like a version on the PC, the Xbox, and Windows Phone 7 series. That if they want, if you want to buy it once, or if they offer a way to buy it once, and then send you like um, unlock
1: code or something.
0: Yeah, some kind of an unlock code so that you can play it on the other devices. That's one thing, but otherwise they're not gonna support anything like that.
1: So it wouldn't tie to maybe your Xbox Live handle. Uh, which would be a unique identifier for all those platforms for them to use that as a pass-through to unlock to unlock uh, all those games.
0: Uh, essentially, from my understanding, is um, Xbox Live is where everything is, where all the content is coming from. That's kind of like the hub where it comes from. Mm-hmm. But to what extent, I'm not exactly sure. I know they were showing off in one of the demos, I don't remember if it was during the keynote, or during one of the sessions after the keynote, but you can still do regular Xbox Live achievements and stuff for like the Windows Phone 7 series, so I'm not sure exactly how much of a tie-in there's going to be between the three platforms. I know they were showing one game, I believe it's called Harvest, that was running on all three platforms, but in terms of interaction between the three they didn't show much of anything just the fact that the same game would run on all three hmm. uh,
1: well that's kind of sad but it's sounds like it was just a concept video then that no one in their right mind would actually implement it uh, from from what you're saying that's what it sounds like yeah it,
0: it's know uh, it's an interesting idea to develop once and something that it will play on three different platforms like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I'm not sure how many companies are actual, actually going to be doing that.
1: i see say it would be huge for, casu- for casual gamers, like a Bejeweled version mm-hmm. or Uno or something like that. That would sound like it would be easy to scale, um, develop it for the phone and scale it up rather than scale it down um, and still not be able to lose anything.
0: Yeah, it shouldn't be too hard because they all attention, um, essentially go off the X and A framework when it comes to doing games. I mean, of course, you can get into more in-depth stuff for making games, especially on PCs. But for um, amateur-made games, and even some professional-made games, on like the 360 or the Windows phone, it's all going to be based on X and A. So I, I'm kind of curious to see how X and A evolves and if there's going to be some real good ways to right. tie in the experience between being able to play on all three devices.
1: Do you, did you ever have a, a Sega Saturn?
0: I did not. That is one of the few consoles that I am missing. I'm a bit of a console collector. That's right. one well, of the few I- ones I've never gotten around to getting.
1: Um, I forget the name of one of the games that it shipped with, but um, uh, it could have been a Sonic game in which you played uh, this game. I think it was Sonic game. And you collected these uh, animals in the game. And then what you could do is then load one of those animals into the memory cartridge. And then you could play with that memory cartridge and then plug it back into the to controller and then import your character back into the game. That sounds like something that'd be good uh, for this platform. Um, because uh, it was kind of like a little tamagotchi pet basically in this little memory unit that had a screen on it. So I mm-hmm. can see that you can take maybe have the full-blown game and then take small elements um, let's say if we're talking about uh, a, a modern warfare or something like that that you can maybe maybe design uh, different costumes or uh, you can dress your character and get your and customize your character more, and then use that on your mobile phone, and then import that back into the game, or um, design you know you know uh, team logos or something like that, uh, and then imp- use your use do that on your phone, look small like the creature creator and spawn, have it mm-hmm. on your phone, and then you import it and then play the full game somewhere else, something like that.
0: Yeah, there's been numerous attempts at doing stuff like this in the past. The one that comes to mind being, if I recall, um, there were some Pokemon games for the Nintendo 64 where you could also plug in your Game Boy games into them and then you'd have access to all of the Pokemon that you've captured on the Game Boy Mm -hmm. and be able to battle on the 64 with it with all of your customizations and stuff like that. So it it would certainly be nice, but I'm kind of curious to see what all comes from it. But there's there was a lot of news coming out about the Windows phone, the marketplace and everything, including the fact that Microsoft has the ability to pull apps from your phone if they do something to violate their license.
1: Yeah, so apparently Microsoft is now going to be the gatekeeper for all applications that show up on the Windows phone. So um, all phones are going to be Uh, uniquely identified and all applications are going to have to be licensed and uh, authenticated on that phone for them to work. So they can yank a license and basically kill an application if they they choose to do so.
0: Yeah, the more I think about it, the the more I see them kind of taking like an Apple approach to all of this. But, yeah, this was also one of the things that I spoke to Todd Bricks about as far as like what kind of – rules can developers expect? Is it going to be as bad as the app store and stuff like that? And from what I can understand between what he told me and one of the sessions I went to, there's going to be a lot more transparency and stuff so that there isn't these huge spans of time where developers don't know if their app's going to get approved, is going to be rejected, or what. But apparently... They're going to have some mechanisms that – and I believe this is implemented on other devices as well. The iPhone and I know the Android has the same capability to – if an app starts doing something that it wasn't designed to do, like all of a sudden it turns into something that um, is harvesting user data and reporting it back to – some third party or something like that, then it can be immediately pulled off of everyone's device, Correct. in which case they can pull an Amazon
1: well I wonder do, you, do they talk about allowing emulators uh, or any kind of interpreters like could you get Java on here and so you can play Java games uh, stuff like that or I mean because that would be a way of using it to bypass the marketplace uh, in, in in app purchases do you, do you have any information on that?
0: No in-app purchases, at least as of the time that it ships. Down the road, they're looking at it, but as of the time that the devices first show up, there will be no in-app purchases. I had a chance to talk to a couple of them on how the whole purchasing thing is going to work. From the sounds of it, by default, they're going to want to set it up so that any purchases you make will get billed to your phone bill, rather than like directly onto a credit card or through PayPal or whatever, which you can use a credit card. You can use PayPal, Google checkout, whatever you want from what I was told. Mm -hmm. But as of this point, there's going to be no in-app purchases.
1: Okay. Yeah, so... What about uh, emulators? Did we talk about emulators?
0: Didn't say anything about emulators. Um... My understanding is that if you want to program for it, it has to be in either on either XNA or Silverlight. So I'm guessing unless we happen to see a native SDK or whatever, like Android release sometime after the Android phone started coming out, that I don't think that we would see any kind of Java or anything like that. I'm kind of curious to see when we're going to see Flash. I know that it's coming, but I don't... But I know it won't be ready for launch.
1: Well, it's just but, it's just curious, like you know, there's uh, a portable version of Firefox, not portable, but mobile mm-hmm. version, um, yeah. and you know, it's going to allow plugins. I mean, and you know, you can almost make Firefox do anything depending on what kind of plugins you put into it. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that might spiral out of control or something like
0: that. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how. Speaking of browsers, if and I, I've got this on my other netbook, I'd have to or. Yeah, on my other netbook, I'd have to look it up. But as I recall, the browser's going to be based on IE7, if I remember right. 6 or 7, I think 7. I'm pretty sure it's 7. But, yeah, I guess, according to uh, Engadget, I didn't get a firm answer when I asked, but I guess in May, they're going to release more details as far as the rulebook for what kind of apps can be on the store. I can say for certain that there will be no porn. I did ask about that one. And apps that could be used for questionably legal things uh, will likely be revoked as well, so I wouldn't count on having a BitTorrent client on your phone. Those are just a couple of the things that I did find out in terms of the rules that I guess they're still hammering out and... My understanding is there's going to be a constant review process so that developers can give them feedback and they can change the rules as they get feedback.
1: They say why? Why what? Why no porn? Why no BitTorrent?
0: No, not really. I, I guess as far as the BitTorrent goes, they're just wanting to avoid any possible legal issues, and I and. As far as the porn goes, when I asked him about who the target audience was for the device, he basically said everybody. Where Windows Mobile in the past has always been primarily focused on business people because it's got all the Exchange stuff and stuff like that. Where And in this case, they have a lot of that stuff, but at the same time, it has a lot more functionality in terms of games. It's got basically a Zoom built in, and each phone... Based on whoever the developer is, is going to have its own bunch of special features, whether it's um, real fancy cameras or whatever. But and suddenly, I've lost track of where I was going with that. What was the question again?
1: <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm just let's let's uh, move back on the browsers. Okay. So you're talking about um, all the stuff you are seeing at Mix, and one of them was, uh, did you see Internet Explorer 9?
0: I saw the rendering engine for Internet Explorer 9. They didn't show off the real browser itself. They just showed off a preview, which is essentially the rendering engine of IE9. Um, so basically, you can go, you can download the preview, which I think is like an iepreview.com or something to that effect, and you can See some of the tests that it can run, like uh, I think there's like the Sun Spider test, the Acid 3 test, and some other things as far as um, just some different Java thing, JavaScript things, and everything. And from what they have so far, it's impressive, but it's because it's taking um, it's using the ability whatever power it can get from the GPU rather than just depending on the CPU to do something. So they, they showed off a number of different demos as far as, like, they were rotating icons, basically, all just a bunch of PNG images that were, like, icons of IE and Firefox and Chrome and stuff like that. They were all, like, dancing around. And they were, with its ability to use the GPU, it was... Running everything buttery smooth, whereas Chrome could barely even chug anything out. Firefox did a little bit better, but their big thing that they're betting on this time is using the GPU for doing a lot of these calculations and stuff, and saying that that's actually what's giving it all of its speed. That's
1: fine by me. Um, Yeah, me too. I mean, (laughs) if it's just probably gonna, I mean. I would seriously consider uh, moving into IE9 if they did have that kind of speed acceleration using the hardware that's already available for my PC.
0: Yeah, I've been a big fan of GPU acceleration for just about everything for a long time. that's one thing I kind of wish Audacity would get is GPU acceleration so that it wouldn't take so long for me to encode the show. And now with my new system, it takes a little bit over a minute as compared to like 11 minutes what it used to take, but... Still, I'd like to have more GPU-accelerated stuff. But one of the main things about this is because it's GPU-accelerated, you cannot run it on Windows XP. Because Windows XP, the best you can get is DirectX 9, and these GPU capabilities like um, Direct Compute and stuff that this runs off of doesn't play until DX10 and DX11. Yeah, Direct Compute is DX11. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure if it's Direct Compute that they're using or if they're using um, something else, like maybe like a CUDA or something like that, just so that it will work on Vista as well. I'm not sure exactly on the details on that.
1: Yeah, I couldn't see them using a CUDA because it's so specific to NVIDIA if they did use CUDA. Uh, If they were going to use something, maybe they could use like um, OpenCL or something like that, but...
0: Yeah, I actually I think it is OpenCL now. I'm thinking about it, but I'm not positive of that. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Um,
1: the good thing is that uh, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, they all can take a, take advantage of that too on the Windows platform. Um, the question is, do they want to specialize? Uh, because that could fork their code base even more uh, uh, with specialized code for just for Windows. And then that's just for uh, Windows Vista or Windows 7 and up. Uh, which could be a problem for them, so um, it's it's a bold move by Microsoft, but it it could play off in the end because it might take a long time for other other vendors to catch up
0: yeah, I don't know about Linux, but I believe Apple supports openCL for the stuff that they do as well so yes
1: yes they do since uh, the their last OS update yeah
0: yeah yeah, so having like having the browsers use it on uh, OS 10 shouldn't be an issue, I wouldn't think. But then again, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly all of the specs on it, all of that. that. That's one of the things that I was kind of hoping for was maybe a little bit more in terms of benchmarks and stuff. They did show like a 55 on the ACID 3 test, but the way it was explained on a blog post that I saw today, I didn't get a chance to ask any of it myself, was that they're not really paying much of a, attention to these different tests, like the ACID-3 test, the Sun Spider test, stuff like that. The fact that they're doing good in them is great, but the way I, their ha- the tests handle stuff, it's not the same as how things are done on the Internet in a real-world scenario. And that's what they're aiming at, is doing these things, how they're actually used by developers and stuff on the Internet, rather than trying to satisfy these tests.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, uh, they kind of screwed it up with you know IE6 and people handling that differently, so now they have to worry about their legacy problems. Um, also... Also, I mean, they have to look at real use cases and make sure it works on the Google apps and all that stuff. Uh, but also speed is good. Compatibility is better. So they need to work on making sure their app works and then work on uh, efficiencies and uh, finding critical paths later on. I mean, that's that's the logical way of going about it.
0: Yeah. I, his name escapes me all of a sudden, but I spoke to a a pm for ie for the ie team when i was at mix and as far as when like a ie9 will come out i i didn't get a real direct answer it was pretty much a case of when it's ready it'll ship mm-hmm. and not which is before kind of good. then. which is good yeah. Yeah, because what they have right now is basically it's just the rendering engine. There's no security on it. There's no navigation, no nothing on it.
1: So it's it's, just like the IE I have today, is what you're
0: saying. More or less. (laughs) Actually, I was kind of hoping they'd compare it to Opera, considering that's supposed to be the fastest browser there is now. I was kind of hoping to see those in the tests rather than Chrome or Firefox. But then again, that's just because I'm an Opera nut. But, yeah, and, and one of the other things that I got to ask about, and I asked all kinds of questions, but I was kind of curious to know how they see their whole market share thing and how it's being eroded by Firefox and Chrome and Opera and everything else. And as far as they're concerned, IE8's the top browser with 30-some percent of the market share, so that's the glimmer of hope that they're holding on to, but they don't seem to really care much that other browsers are gaining market share.
1: Yeah, uh, they care. They just, <laughs> they care because they wouldn't be coming out with IE nine if it wasn't because of that. So yeah, um, but the good thing is from what you to take away from what you said about um, the date and um, and when it's coming out, that they're quality driven and not date driven, which is good.
0: Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised by that, but I don't know. They're not. They don't seem to be announcing too much with it yet. They were just kind of showing off what they've got so far. So. I'm curious to see what other features there's going to be by the time it launches. Hmm. But Enough Microsoft talk. Oh, one thing I did want to mention about the Zune. There is still a future for the Zune. In my conversation with Todd Bricks, I asked him, considering the fact that basically Zune is being built into the Windows Phone and the fact that even the Windows phone is going to use the Zune software, is there a future for the Zune? And I was told, yes, there is, and and I don't remember the exact words that he used, but basically there is a new Zune device coming in the fairly near future. So I, I'm kind of curious to see if that'll be like the HD2 or what. But anyway, enough Mix and Microsoft and talk and everything let's talk sexting yes apparently a court in pennsylvania has now decided that you can't charge teens as sex offenders or whatever for sexting
1: yeah apparently it's an impediment of of their impediment of their freedom of speech and um uh, apparently a, a teen was given a choice when caught sexting to either be prosecuted or take some sort of rehabilitation class
0: yeah i'm kind of curious to see how this affects cases going on around the country i know even around here locally there's been uh, i believe there's been some teens that have been charged for whatever um sexting cases uh The word escapes me. But anyway, I'm kind of curious to see just how much reach this has in terms of um, precedence. Because the way the register puts it is that since this um, idiot district attorney who is now no longer a district attorney, um, since he basically said either go to this education program for the next six months take whatever test and write a paper on what you learned about it and why it's bad or basically face prison time don't know if that if this case is going to really transfer as precedence anywhere else because of those specific circumstances now if that's not the case in other ones who knows
1: Right, and also keep in mind that some of these lewd pictures were her and her bikini
0: yeah, that that's one of the whole stupid things about it. It's like, there's no nudity, it's just her in a bikini. Right. And somehow that's worth prison time. I don't understand it, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know, the whole sexting thing, I think, is just one big overreaction by an older generation, I think. I think it's just a generation gap issue.
1: Yeah, it's just another way of the man trying to spy on us.
0: Yep, speaking of spying, apparently some thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the US Department of Justice has turned over some slides from a presentation about obtaining and using evidence from social networking sites. So now we kind of have a little bit of an idea how, how much information and where information is coming from that the government is getting to pursue people for whatever legal case from their social networking profiles. Right.
1: And the specific network that they brought up uh, was Facebook and saying that they're easier than most to deal with to get information about their users.
0: Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. Supposedly, Facebook responded and said, no, we're not easy to get information from. No, not at all. That mm-hmm. we're resistant to requests, and only in emergencies do we hand over a minimal amount of user information. But according to this slide presentation, you can they can easily get information from Facebook, like photos, contact information, group contact information, IP logs, as well as... Other data that's available, and that's if you if they actually go through official channels and get it from Facebook, if they friend you or you leave your profile public or whatever, and all this information is up there anyway, they don't even have to go them and do yeah. all that.
1: And especially with their new privacy settings that they just released, I mean, forced down people and people who just checked okay without verifying that their their profiles are public unbeknownst to them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and apparently MySpace and Twitter are a little bit harder because MySpace requires a search warrant for private messages and bulletins that are less than 181 days old. Right. Why 181 days? I really don't have a clue. And
1: and Twitter, Twitter's just down. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Twitter's just down. But apparently they have to have some kind of a legal process, so presumably warrants and stuff too before they open it, anything up to them. So, and apparently LinkedIn is not used by criminals or at least the use is very limited. So they're mm-hmm. not real worried about LinkedIn. So if you want to participate in illegal legal activity, use LinkedIn.
1: Done and done.
0: <laughs> Actually, I saw a post earlier today. I, I don't even remember where I saw it from. I'm thinking Slashdot or something like that. Apparently a Mafia boss in Italy or whatever was tracked down by the government and arrested because of the fact that he was always on Facebook. Eventually, they, I guess they used IP addresses and whatever to track down kind of where his hideouts were, and since he was on Facebook all the time, they were able to track him and arrested him. Oh well, I
1: guess he learned. Mm-hmm. Like he was trying to hide. Don't try to don't join a social network.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that they also mentioned in this document, which we've talked about, uh, it's it's been a couple of months ago. Where apparently they're saying Department of Justice prosecuted, prosecutors are urged to use caution when friending judges, as well as defense counsel.
1: Yes. I think we covered that a while back uh, about how it could be.
0: Yeah, uh, about a lawyer and a judge in Florida, Yeah, yeah. You can get a mistrial. Uh Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, It sounds like the EFF is going to have more information about this in the coming days, but it's some interesting stuff to read, especially what I'm kind of curious about is the fact that there's nothing, I guess there's some kind of a mention of what if an agent violates the terms of service of the site to... Mm-hmm. Gain whatever knowledge they're looking for, but there's no really, no answer offered in the text. So, whether they can use that information if they obtain it by breaking the terms of service, who knows?
1: Right. That's like going into also who watches the watchers
0: kind of a thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how that would play out in court if that was ever the case. But, Anyway, that looks like that would be all of the stories for this week. For our tips of the week, got two nice little tips. One is about the whole idea of essentially starting your own Google-style 20% project. Like most people know, I think it's like half of Google products basically from Gmail, Buzz, um, I don't even remember what all else, have all been essentially 20% projects that people do that Google allows their employees 20% of their time or essentially one day a week to work on whatever project they want to work on. And basically this is the whole idea of doing this in your own business, in your own life, or whatever, so that you can have these other pro- projects that can turn into something great just because you spent... of your time working on them. And the second tip is moving your iTunes library to another computer with iTunes 9 home sharing. There's video and everything to go along with this, but I I definitely wish I had this when I was migrating from my old computer to my new computer, because it would have... Saved me a lot of hassle. In the end, it wasn't too bad because I left just left all my music on my home server and just pointed iTunes to my home server. But for those that don't have a home server and you're planning on changing computers or whatever and you're not sure what to do about your iTunes library, this is something worth looking at. And I guess that's pretty much it for this week's show. Don't forget you can drop us a line at I am like if you want to leave comments for the show let, let let us let us know especially about the intro for the show feel free to shoot me an email, email pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews com I am also pcnerd37 on Twitter as well as at globalgeeknews which hopefully now that things are settling down a bit I'll get back to more posting more links and stuff on globalgeeknews compared to what I've been doing lately. And you are at Wesley eighty three on Twitter. That's correct. And it's Wesley eighty three at posttrist dot com.
1: Wesley eighty three dot post post yeah. yeah. Mm,
0: okay. Yeah. So there's always some interesting posts from you on there. I <laughs> always enjoy looking at those whenever I see tweets about anything new up there.
1: And but, uh, pictures from South Byer posted there too.
0: Ooh, I haven't seen those yet. I'll have to go check those out. But, anyway, don't forget, for those of you that would like to help us out with the show, you can donate. There's the globalgeeknews.com slash donations page, where you can name your own amount that you want to donate, or you can just go to any of the posts for shows. Well, any of the last 20 posts for the shows. And there's a... $5 $5 a month subscription button there for PayPal so if you're interested in just having doing an, a monthly donation of $5 a month that would be a great way to go and your money would be greatly appreciated as I'm still greatly in the hole in terms of what I've spent on the site, I, I don't know how many hundred dollars, hundreds of dollars I'm in the hole between hosting fees domain fees which are about to go up unfortunately and equipment fees and everything and I'm, I'm looking to do some upgrading on the equipment I'd like to get a mixer and stuff not really in the cards in terms of money right now so any donations to help with that would be extremely appreciated and I think that's pretty much it for this week unless you got anything you'd like to add
1: uh no uh I'll see you guys next week.
0: Sounds good. Don't forget to check out globalgeeknews.com for all of these show notes. Find out even more of the stories that we didn't get a chance to talk about. And don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog. And don't forget to check out geeknewsdaily.com, which hopefully I'll get that podcast up and going tomorrow. Until next week, we will see you later.